The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, if uh, you were to ask me what I did on a Saturday morning 10 years ago, this is what I would tell you. I woke up on somebody's couch, don't know who, ate a slice of cold pizza, sat on the couch that I had slept in the whole night, and then watch college football the rest of the day. That's what I did on a Saturday 10 years ago. If you asked me what I did on a Saturday five years ago, I would have told you I woke up at nine in the morning, went for a run, drank some coffee, and then went to the seminary library and wrote papers all day. If you were to ask me what I did this last Saturday, I'd tell you I woke up at six in the morning, changed the poopiest diaper in the history of the world, went and got some milk, turned on Elmo, changed another poopy diaper, went and picked up some breakfast tacos, came back, made a pillow pile, jumped in it a couple times, uh, and then went to a coffee shop to finish this message. Now, what's the difference between my Saturday 10 years ago and this past Saturday? Responsibility, Responsibility right. I, I have kids, right? I've got kids. That one, that one change in my life has absolutely changed everything about my Saturdays. There's no more sleeping in. There's no more cold pizza. There's no more binging on sports, right? Like I can more quickly list for you the PBS Kids morning lineup than I could tell you who's projected to be in the top 10 for the BCS this fall, right? I mean, this is a true story. My wife and I, Melissa, we literally had this conversation the other day where we ranked in order our five favorite kids shows. Right? Sesame Street's still number one. We all know Daniel Tiger's neighborhood is working his way up, though, right? Yo Gabba Gabba's hanging strong with DJ Lance. So it's very good. And we all know Dinosaur Train is just an abomination. I can't turn that off quick enough, right? But uh, everything has changed, right? These new lives in my life have completely reoriented how I use my time, how I focus my energy, what my responsibilities are. And those of you that are parents, you get this, right? And those of you that aren't, you actually get this too. Because we've all had it. We've had these moments, this one moment that sort of shifts how everything goes in your life. It shifts the way you view things. And for some of you, it may be a positive thing, right? Like the first time you did that thing that you're really passionate about. And you're like, I had no idea I love this. And now I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing it. This is awesome. For some of you, maybe it was a negative thing. Maybe somebody hurt you or you lost a, a loved one or, or, or someone was sick and that shifted your perspective on the world. It shifted how you lived. Or maybe some of you, it was a spiritual thing that you went on a mission trip or you had some sort of unique God experience and that has shifted how you live your life. And whatever it is, we've all had these moments, these sort of ruptures that change everything in our lives. Here's what I want to submit to you today that Easter is the moment that changed everything in the cosmos. That Easter is this moment of change for the whole universe. Easter is the single most important day in the history of the world. That Jesus Christ, resurrection from the death, is the rupture that changed the entire fate of the universe. Like that's what we see in our text that it happens, that Jesus actually rose in history, real time and space. And that it had to happen, that in order for Jesus to be who he said he was, it had to take place. And then finally, that it changes everything. 
It happened, it had to happen, it changes everything. That's what we're gonna see this morning. Uh, so if you still have uh, your, your scripture passage, if you'd uh, pull that out, we're gonna look at the first seven verses here. It says this, it happened, okay? Verses one through seven. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, before we get into this text, I just want to say this. I think in our culture, there's, a, there's an air, there's sort of a mood that says, I like Easter. Like Easter is a good thing, right? It's this, it's this message that, that reminds us that even from the darkest places, light can shine forth, that, that every cloud has a silver lining, right? That, that on the, the other side of, of hard times come good times, right? As, as a rule, our culture just kind of likes Easter. And that's good. That's a good thing. But, but if we were to actually drive down to the nitty gritty of Easter, it gets to be a different reaction. When you start making the historical claim that in first century Palestine, there was a rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, and that this guy claimed to be the Messiah. And that he claimed to be one with the creator of the universe. And that the Romans actually nailed him to a cross and he died. And then to say that this guy in actual history rose from the dead three days later. Literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead. You go into that sort of detail and people start to get a little bit more uncomfortable. Starts to seem a little bit far fetched. Like, hey, maybe that's a nice legend. Maybe that's something like the early Christians, they, they really missed their teacher. And so they, they sort of developed this myth to help comfort them as, as they said goodbye to him. But come on, a dead guy actually coming back to life seems far fetched. And, and I would agree with that. But look at our text, man. Ancient legends, ancient mythologies, they don't read like this. I mean, look at the detail. You look at the, the first couple of verses, if you see that, it says the first person that discovered Jesus wasn't in the tomb was a woman. That is a terrible way to establish credibility in the ancient world. Women's testimonies weren't even allowed in court. So why would the gospel writers want to show that unless it actually happens? And then secondly, if you look at verses four through seven, it starts off with more, with my favorite detail. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, John, who's the author of this gospel, says he and Peter uh, took off running. And do you notice what he says? He says, and I beat Peter to the tomb, right? Like, so for all of eternity, he gets to brag that he beat Peter to the tomb. Uh, and uh, I don't know, as a younger brother, I really, really appreciate that. Um, and, and, and then it says, though, that they, they discover Jesus' grave clothes lying there. And then I don't know if you caught this, there's like all this detail about how the clothes are lying. The face cloth is over here and it's nicely folded and all that. Why is that in there? It's in there because this is reportage. Like this is what he actually saw. He's reporting on the events that he saw. And see, I can just see, man, John the gospel writer, back in ancient times, ancient people weren't stupid. And he says, hey, uh, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, he, he rose from the dead. And they're saying, come on, man. He didn't rise from the dead. Like, like what really happened? We, we don't believe you. And I can just see John saying like, if there was any other way to explain it, I would. 
but I can't help it. it. It happened. I'm telling you what I saw. I've got no other option. See, either John and the other gospel writers are the most clever liars in the history of the world, or it actually happened. And you've got to land somewhere on that. You've got to land somewhere on that. Uh, Oscar Wilde has a play called Salome. Uh, it's fictional, but there's a scene where the, the character King Herod uh, hears that Jesus is raising people from the dead. And, and he freaks out. He bursts out and he says, I, I don't want him to do that. I forbid Jesus to raise people from the dead. In my kingdom, people aren't allowed to, to raise people from the dead. They, they need to stay dead. And, uh, and so Herod tells his courier, he says, hey, where, where is he? Where can I find him so I can tell him to stop raising people from the dead? And the courier responds with these haunting words. He says, he is in every place, my Lord, but it is hard to find him. See, I'm convinced that, that most people's issue with the resurrection of Jesus is not primarily intellectual. I think most people's issue with the resurrection of Jesus is because if it's true, it means that there's implications for your life. It means you can't just live however you want. And see, like Herod, we don't want that. Jesus, you gotta stop doing that. You gotta stop raising people from the dead. You gotta stop flipping things upside down but that doesn't change the reality that he's everywhere. It doesn't change the reality that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so you've got to land somewhere with it. You've got to land somewhere with it because not only did it happen, but it had to happen. If you have your uh, verses out, look with me at verses eight through 10. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, I love it. So once again, you caught that in verse 8, that, uh, that John gets another jab in at Peter, which is great. Uh, and then, then he says, they went to the tomb and he saw and believed because up until this point, he didn't realize that he had to be raised from the dead. Now, what's he talking about there? What does that mean? Why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Why did Jesus have to raise from the dead? Because if he doesn't, then the Bible, then the story of the world makes zero sense. See, in the beginning, God says, hey, I'm gonna create this world and it's good. And then we see that humanity rebels, falls against it. And so all sorts of manner of brokenness and fallenness come into our world and creation is unraveled. But from the get-go, God says, hey, I'm gonna send a savior. I'm gonna send someone into this world who's gonna make everything right. He's gonna renew all of creation. He's gonna set things the way they're supposed to be. And then again and again throughout the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, God promises his people, one day a Messiah is coming. He's gonna renew all of creation. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, I'm here. He says, that's me. He says, I'm the promised Messiah. I'm the one in whom all creation will be renewed. And guess what? His followers believe him. They believe him and they follow him all the way to the cross. But then he's killed on the cross. And that's an issue. Because he just looks like another false Messiah then. You see, you need to realize that Jesus was not the first guy to claim the things that he did. He was not the first guy to claim to be a Messiah. There were many that came before him. There were many that came after him. There's even people in our world right now that claim that they're the Messiah, right? So what's the difference with Jesus? How come billions of people have followed him for 2,000 years? He backed it up. 
he backed it up. He's got God's stamp of approval. See, when the powers of this world killed him, God raised him from the dead. You see, the worst this world has to offer does not stop God's promised one. And see, like, I I love the cross. And I love that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for my sins and your sins and the sins of the whole world. But can I tell you something? The cross is useless without Easter. The cross is useless without Easter. Because without Easter, all Jesus is is a great moral example. Without Easter, for all we know, Jesus was just a gifted public speaker who has met an untimely death at the hands of the Roman Empire. That's it. But what Easter shows us is that on the cross, Jesus wrote a check for your sins. And when he rose from the dead Easter morning, that means the check cleared. It means the debt's paid. It means you're good to go, baby. New things are happening. He is who he said he was. His promises are true. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one who, if you believe in him, offers eternal life. He's the way, the truth, and the life that if you want to know the Father, you got to know him. He's the one through whom God is restoring the whole world and he's invited the poor and the broken and the outcast and even you to be a part of it. Easter happened. It had to happen. And finally, because of that, everything changes. So I don't know if you caught this, but if you look in our text, Peter and John, they go and they check out the tomb and then they just run back home after like, oh, he's not here. They go home. But Mary Magdalene hangs out for a while and she sits and she's crying outside Jesus' tomb and two angels show up to her and they say, hey, why are you crying, lady? And she says, they, they've taken my Lord away and I, I don't know where they've put him. And just then, Jesus shows up, but she doesn't recognize it's Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. And so she tells Jesus, uh, hey, if, if you've taken his body, tell me where it is and I'll go get him. And then this happens. I love it. My favorite part of the Easter story, verse 16, if you want to look at it with me. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I love that moment because Jesus says her name and instantly she knows it's him. The second he says her name, she knows it's Jesus. And she grabs hold of him and Jesus says, hey, don't touch me. And what is the deal with that? It seems kind of rude, right? Like what's, what's he doing there? Well, a, a more literal translation is do not keep clinging to me. Don't keep holding on to me. And why does he say that? See, because up to this point, Mary Magdalene's thought Jesus is gone, that this is the end of the story, that things are all over. And then she sees him and he's alive and she just wants to grab hold of him and she doesn't want to ever, ever let go. But Jesus says, you got to let go because I have to ascend to the Father. And why does Jesus have to ascend to the Father? So that not just Mary can grab hold of him, but so that you can grab hold of him. You see, if she stays hanging on to him, the rest of us don't get to. But he ascends to the Father and so now you today, this day, can grab hold of the resurrected Jesus. See, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. He actually did. And that meant that, that your sins that he paid for on the cross are taken care of. And that in him, the whole world's being put back together and that you're invited into that and he's ascended into heaven. You can actually grab hold of him. That you can do that. 
And when you do that, it literally changes everything, right? Those of you that are Christians, you get this, right? Uh, I recently uh, read an article in The Atlantic that our, our worship arts director, Tanner, passed on to me uh, about one of my favorite singer-songwriters, Sufjan Stevens. And uh, Sufjan Stevens is, uh, is a Christian and a musician, but he, he doesn't fit like the, the genre of Christian music. Uh, and uh, he was asked about this in his article. They're like, hey, you're a Christian, but you're not really, you're not like, you don't do Christian music. And uh, he said this when he was asked about this. He said, Christian music as a genre exists exclusively within the few insulated floors, cubicles and computers included, of some corporate construction in Nashville, Tennessee. Otherwise, there's no such thing as Christian music. Can I tell you something? He was right. He's right. See, see for Sufjan Stevens, his faith, the gospel, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And it doesn't change everything by slapping the adjective Christian onto it. It changes everything from the inside out. It infiltrates into your life and restores all of life. You approach it in a whole new way. You see, as a Christian, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus in this world matters. The fact that Jesus rose in this world means that this world matters. It means that everything as a Christian that you do in light of that resurrection is connected to that first Easter when Jesus rose from the grave. As Sufjan Stevens puts it, he says, it's not so much that faith influences us as it lives in us. In every circumstance, giving a speech or tying my shoes, I am living and moving and being. See, for the Christian, the resurrected Jesus is a living reality. He's in every area of your life. And my prayer for you this Easter is that you would realize that, that you would see that. Let me say this real quick as we close. If you haven't met the resurrected Jesus yet, let me tell you, like, you can meet him today. Like, today, today, like, like now. Now, so simple. There's an article in uh, Interview Magazine where they interviewed uh, Shia LaBeouf, or Shia LaBeau, I don't know. He's a guy from Even Stevens, done the Transformers movies. And, uh, and uh, most recently, he's uh, starred alongside Brad Pitt in Fury. And in this interview, the, the interviewer asked him, they said, hey, uh, Shia, you, you had to play a man of faith in this film. What was that like for you? And uh, LeBeau said this. He said, I found God doing Fury. I became a Christian, man. And not none, I have to censor him here, just so you know, you can look up the interview online. Uh, it's a sermon, okay? Uh, and, and not in a fake way, he says something else, uh, but in a very real way. He says, I could have just said the prayers that were on that page, but it was a real thing that really saved me. And you can't identify it unless you're really going through it. It's a full-blown exchange of heart, a surrender of control. And while there's beauty to that, acting is all about control. So that was a wild thing to navigate. I love his response there, right? He gets asked, hey, what was it like playing a man of faith? He goes, oh yeah, I became a Christian actually while doing that. And, and he says, and it changed everything for me. It flipped everything upside down for me. It was a complete surrender of my control. And because of that, it made my job really hard. See, I love that answer because that's what happens when you encounter the resurrected Jesus. He flips your world upside down. He does. But it is 100% worth it. 100% worth it. So my prayer for you today, if you don't know him, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you've done, what you haven't done, wherever you're at, I'm telling you, meet him today. Trust in him today. You can grab hold of the resurrected Jesus now. 
You can know the one who paid the price for your sin. You can walk with the one who beat death for you so that you can walk with God forever. You can trust in him, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that you would because he changes everything. Let's talk to him right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you that on this day you rose from the grave. Death couldn't hold you down. Death couldn't stop you. The worst this world has to offer would not stop you. We give you thanks and praise for that. And God, I pray for my friends who are maybe far from you this morning, who who aren't sure about you or are kicking the tires on this whole thing. God, I pray you'd work in their heart, that your spirit would work on them, that they would know you, that right now in this moment, they'd put their trust in you. They let go of controlling their own lives and put their trust in the Lord who's in control of all things. And God, I pray for my friends that know you already, that you would more and more infiltrate their lives, that you'd more and more transform us, that we might show who you are to this world in all that we do. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.